0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price,
1: Priceline.
0: line. and a miss, struck it out. So Sip has faced four hitters. He's retired all of them, and it is seventh inning stretch time here in Houston. Seven three Athletics. Well, hello again, and welcome inside our NBC Sports Washington podcast studios. It's another edition. Of the Racing Presidents Podcast. Bob Trossett alongside Chase Hughes and Todd Dibas, We're ready to get our, to our second episode this week. And, well, there's plenty, plenty coming. Just 15 days out from Nationals opening day. Well, they'll take on the New York Mets. It's a 105 first pitch inside Nats Park. And, boy, that mild weather's coming along, fellas. I think it's getting Finally. up to 60 degrees today. You can feel it in the air. The other
2: day it was supposed to get up to 60, and I looked at my phone and it was like 48, so uh, it, it hasn't
1: come quick enough. So the very curmudgeonly response to you touting the weather and mentioning opening day in the same sentences, never do that. (laughs) <laughs> because that assures that it's going to be rainy and Well, it's always cold on opening day. On opening day. Especially now yeah. that it's in March. Yeah, we don't need to give it any more help. Yeah, March 28th is going to be cold enough on its own. But, you Says know, the guy who's we'll going
0: to go, he's going back down to spring training in a few days. Yeah, yeah that's I true. Am. He's going to be yeah, you know, in Florida. That, come on. W-
1: that would be fantastic. And then I will wear it when we come back up here like everybody else. <laughs> Um, Ty, you, got a de- you got a decent day.
0: color going on over there too. You, nobody could see you, but
1: I know. Well, I go, I, I have like three shades I've Irish pale, extremely burned and then settled off <laughs> it's kind of how the sun influences. I my can't life. get a
0: tan. So uh, you're not alone. Well, let's get into our first topic. And that is the Tony Sip signing nationals bring in the reliever to help out the middle of the rotation. Todd, I know you, you jumped on this before we talked before we started recording here today. And you said, First thing you said is, why now? I mean, it's, we're two weeks out, well, so why now?
1: Yeah, well, they needed to do something now. It's just kind of they backed themselves into the space that they needed to do something now because they decided, instead of simply non-tendering Sammy Solis in the offseason and, and, and paying Tony Sipp then, they gave Solis a contract, then they brought him to spring training, he appeared in four games, and then they sent him out, and now they were short a left-handed arm in the bullpen. So, um so here's Tony Sip on a on a one-year a sippy deal. Sippy Cup. Yeah, pending a physical. He was really effective against left-handers last year. He had a good year all around last year for Houston. The previous two years, he wasn't very good. Um, and I wouldn't even label him quite a lefty specialist. He, he's more effective against lefties, but he doesn't have dynamic splits. So he, he can face more than a single left-handed batter. He can probably give you an inning, though he was used very lightly last year by Houston. He just pitched... 38 and change uh, innings during the season for them.
2: Yeah, I think this worked out pretty well for the Nationals to get Tony Sipp, who might be had at a cheaper price because of the, the way the market has played out for everyone. And you see Craig Kimbrell and some relievers are still out there. And How about th- the idea that Tony Sipp got a job before Craig yeah, Kimbrell? right, right. <laughs> He's 35 uh, right. and had a, a good year last year, his best ERA. I know that's not the best stat for... Um, relievers, but strikeouts uh, were pretty good. Walks were pretty good. And one stat that stands out to me, he's pitched at least 40 games the last five seasons in Houston. So even though he's 35, he's pretty durable. Um, mentioned the the success against lefties, uh, 191 batting average against last year, 263 on base percentage against. So I don't mm-hmm. know if he's going to be a lefty specialist for the Nationals, but he sure is going to help when you're going up against Bryce Harper, uh, Robinson Cano, and Freddie Freeman.
1: Yeah, that that will be the question for them. We were discussing this in a, in, a, in a separate general discussion the other day. Of, and we don't have to get into this now. But it, for the Nationals, who's going to pitch to Bryce Harper in the seventh or eighth or ninth inning um, before you can get to Doolittle? I, I was, I guess, the ninth inning will be Doolittle. But prior to that, when you need to match up, who is that guy going to be? And and we'll see how this plays out for them.
2: I'm just excited for the puns, you know, the sip puns. And I'm <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, he comes out. His intro song is sipping on some scissor. Oh my, that's my, God. that's oh, my. Hope. Oh
0: goodness gracious. <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, he he joins the team after a five year stint with the Astros. He comes in as as a left hander. I believe that's one of two lefties uh, in the rotation, right? With with Doolittle in the and, bullpen,
1: other than right. other than Doolittle. right in the bullpen. Yep. Ex- yeah, that's mm-hmm. right.
0: And so, Todd, I ask you. Given that we're 15 days out now from opening day, what are some of the challenges that you face joining a club that you know that late in the
1: game? Well, the upshot for them is, as Chase mentioned, Tony Sipp is 35 years old, and this is far, far, far from his first rodeo. <laughs> um, the downside for them is he's he's switching leagues um, and coming back to the NL. He hasn't been in the NL since Isn't he that, was with Arizona. Doesn't that usually 13? favor the pitcher? To, I, mean, I feel like a lot of
2: guys have initial success, like especially relievers. Like I remember Matt Thornton came over mm-hmm. from, I think it was the Chicago. Yankees. Uh, was it Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, it, it came over from the American League and had all this success early on for the Nationals, and that I feel like has been the case for uh,
1: a lot of different guys, especially that come from the American League to the NL. You know what's different now than when we probably looked at this in the past is instead of coming over and, and getting accustomed To them, you come over and you get a massive printout of everything they do, right? But you You can't recreate the arm angle coming off the mound. You just can't do that with videotape. Right, right. So, but you do you do walk in with all this information in your hand, and then you have to realize how that information works for you specifically against that specific person. So, and some guys aren't,
2: you know, receptive to it. Right.
1: Well, they. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Those guys are going to be losing their jobs if they're not receptive to it. Annibal Sanchez and Kurt Suzuki weren't very receptive to it until last year and Atlanta shoved it down their throats. And then they went, oh, and they looked at the results. And now they're very receptive to it. So, um, you know, I mean, at this point, Tony Sipp is not going to be reinventing himself, <laughs> but, you know, he, who knows how much he's been throwing. Certainly he's been throwing this whole time. Um They're going to, Surely get him on a mound ASAP in a spring training game, and then we'll, I'm sure, we'll see him, you know, sitting out in the bullpen on March 28th. And we just asked, we asked on Monday, are the Nationals finished? Are, are they all set
0: with, with moves? And here we are. Right. Uh, we're taping this on a Wednesday, and they're continuing to make those moves as we make our way yeah, that towards mid- opening
1: day. That midsection of the bullpen continues to be uh, not quite right. Even, you know, you just added a lefty arm. Right now, um, you still have kind of Kota Glover up in the air. And so the thing for me that's been really interesting lately is Joe Ross repeatedly being used in one-inning stints. He hasn't made a start. That tells me that they're thinking about pushing him in there to start the season. They wanted to monitor his innings anyway. Um, so this is a great way to do that. He still has options. You can put him in there now and use him at, for a full inning slash long relief early on. And then you can send him down if Kota Glover gets healthy or someone else needs to pop in there and send Joe Ross down, progressively stretch him out, and then possibly use him as a starter down the line. So that's something to watch too.
2: Something tells me Joe Ross makes an impact this year. I feel like, obviously he's coming back from the injury uh, and hasn't, you know, been here for a full season or anything close to it, but I, I really liked him before he had the Tommy John surgery, so I, I think the,
0: the potential's still there for the him to make an impact. But do we, do we do still see the most vulnerable part of this team as the, the middle of the rotation in the, in the bullpen? Is that Can we agree on that, or is there something that I might be overlooking?
1: I, I mean, if you, you start with Sean Doolittle, and he's been pitching excellent, and his foot injury last year was an acute injury. It was like a one-off weird thing. Things that had bothered him in the past, notably his shoulder, were, were not an issue for him and haven't been since he's gotten here. So you feel pretty good about that, right? But after that, then, you, then it's easy to start to wonder. Rosenthal is coming off his surgery. He's throwing really hard, but how effective will he be? How long will he last? Those, those are legitimate questions. He, a lot of guys say it's good. not the velocity right. after Tommy John surgery. It's the control with the velocity. Right, and we've seen him have some control problems in spring, although I don't want to put basically any weight on anything that's occurred um, in a spring training game. And then after that is Bear Claw. Good for a half, bad for a half, um, much better when he wasn't in the closer role for Miami last year and he won't be here. Uh, And then after that, you know, you're talking about Wander Suero, Justin Miller, um, now Tony Sipp, Matt Grace, who had an excellent season last year, uh, and maybe one other guy. So there's a lot of what if. And there's usually, always what ifs with uh, the bullpen right. for a
2: lot of teams, but especially the Nationals, it's always the biggest question going into the season. Yeah, there's always. not a
1: lot of like there's not a lot of what ifs in New York this year for the Yankees, right? I mean that that's ridiculous what they stacked up out there. You don't have that feeling or sense here for sure. All right, let's uh, transition into our next topic.
0: That is uh, last. It has to do with last night's spring training game against the Astros. Where how about one twenty-one year old Carter Keyboom? Took two out of the park off of Justin Verlander. He, you know, he, he was talking post game. He's like, I would have been, I would have been lying if I told you that I didn't know who I was facing. <laughs> but he'd never, he'd never met him, so he'd only seen him on TV. That, that's just this crazy, this day and age thing. Like, you obviously know him as a 21 year old, but you've never met him, and then you take him deep twice. Todd, where does this kid potentially fit in the Nationals lineup in 2019?
1: Yeah, it was funny to hear afterward Carter Keboom say, "I knew absolutely who was on the mound." And Verlander was asked, "He's like, I had no idea who that is." <laughs> <laughs> um, he's 15, so, fifteen years difference. Yeah, you wouldn't
2: expect that. Right. right. I mean,
1: so I'm I'm just throwing him fastballs, and you know, he apparently can hit the fastball. Is I'm paraphrasing Verlander, but that it was Ke- actually Keyboom was
2: probably watching him on
1: TV when he was like seven or eight years old. Right. Insane. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, this doesn't change anything with Brian Dozier here. A key boom. I would assume will start in Fresno. Uh, they'll continue to try to get him better at second base, where he hasn't been great. Um, he also, you know, didn't play a, a really good shortstop last year either in the minor leagues. So he has some progress to make in the field for sure. Uh, he's an interesting guy. He, when you talk to him, he's really got his act together and has this kind of top prospect vibe about him. That you know, I know what's going on. I know I'm talented. I know how to deal with the media. Um, I know how to operate in the clubhouse. He showed up super early at spring training and then was really quiet and went out and did his work early on too. So those are things, if you're Ryan Zimmerman and Max Scherzer, this is how you want that guy to operate at this stage of his career Um, and and Mike Rizzo and anyone else in the organization. So we've seen a lot of positive things from Carter Keeboom in spring, and we'll see him in the minor leagues to start the season. And if there's an injury down the line, you know who knows? Once the season goes, gets further down the line. You know, a couple months into the season, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Don't forget that uh, Dozier had a nagging knee thing last year. So he says he's over it. But those, as you age, I can raise my hand and attest to this. Your knees don't Bob become hand. more cooperative; they become less cooperative. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah Bob, but, you'll learn about that. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm hanging so, on to it. <laughs> Hang so, on to that youth. He looks fine. Dojo looks fine now, and I don't mean to intimate that there's anything wrong, but, you know, that that was a thing last year, and, you know, he's he's not getting younger, so we'll see what happens in the middle of the season for Carter Keboom.
2: The homers are one thing for Carter Keboom. Looking at his spring stats, and I know they're spring stats, but I'm most encouraged by the fact that he's got more walks than strikeouts because that was a problem for him, or it has been for the, in the minors, and even though he's had a high on-base percentage, a, a ton more uh, strikeouts than walks, so... Uh, that's a good sign. Robles is the same way, by the way, um, this spring. But I think an injury is going to pave the way for Keeboom and, and not too long into the season. I wouldn't be surprised if he's up by the middle of May or by June 1st because you just look at the age of some of their infielders, and not all of them are middle infielders like Keyboom is, is projected to be. But Ryan Zimmerman's 34, uh, Dozier's 31, Adams is 30, and then, of course, Rendon, uh, though he's not old, has had some um, some injury issues in the past. So all it takes is one injury. I think a, a, an extended injury absence, and they could justify bringing up Keyboom earlier than expected because that's generally been the pattern for the Nationals. That's how Rendon came up earlier than we thought he was going to. Harper, a lot of these guys, you know, we were wondering, is it going to be midseason or in the second half? And all of a sudden they're up by May 1st because an injury happened and the time is now and it has to be now. Um, when it comes to keyboom, if you look at the top 100 prospects around uh, the league and specifically around the division – the Nationals are in such good shape. They've got Robles at fourth, Keyboom at 25th. So they've got two top 25 prospects, and that doesn't include Juan Soto, who, according to MLB.com, is not a prospect anymore, obviously, because he was a Rookie of the Year finalist last year. But they're in really good shape if you compare them to the rest of the division. The Braves, on the other hand, I think have eight top 100 prospects, so they're far out and away ahead of everyone. Along
1: with a bunch of young guys on their actual team.
2: Right. They are absolutely loaded, but that's how you sustain success in this league by developing your own guys or trading those guys before they reach the majors for other players. And what stands out to me about that, if you look around the NL East, is the Philadelphia Phillies don't have a single top 50 prospect. They have two in the top 100, number 59 and number 77. Remember all that talk? about Scott Boris and Bryce Harper wanting to know about the talent in teams' farm systems before they decide where to sign. They want to see the future of these organizations. The Phillies aren't in good shape in that regard. So I I think that's something worth pointing out, that the Nationals, uh, even though to me they're the favorite to win this division, they're still in, in a really good spot in terms of the future, and so are the Braves. The Marlins, the Mets, and the Phillies, on the other hand, not
0: so much. Currently, right now, we're taping this on a Wednesday again. It's, it's one thirty right now. 105 first pitch was was Braves, uh, Braves Nationals. So
1: Trey so, Turner just homered.
0: There you go. <laughs> there you go. Live from our live Off broadcast Gosman? studios here. Yeah, there it is, right there. Yep, two to one Nats up in the. Not that this matters, but you know, <laughs> bottom of the first. Nats, live Nats spring Nats up training too, game updates. <laughs> we got a little play by play going right now. So, yeah. all right. Well, we got to continue to talk about it because I think everybody's interested in it, and that is Bryce Harper. He sat down with ESPN, the magazine, his first extensive interview since signing with the Phillies, and I wanted to read some quotes because I think it might trigger my guys here across the way. So Bryce sat down. Here's a quote that sort of popped off. During the seven years I spent in D.C., all everybody talked about was me going somewhere else, he told the magazine. From the day I signed, it was, he's going to the Yankees. He's going to the Dodgers. He's going to the Cubs. I didn't want to hear that. I was in that city, and I wanted to be in that city. So now I'm just so happy that I'm able to sit here right now and say I can play until I'm 39 years old, and I don't have someone sitting around the corner saying he's going to go here next. Now, there was another really interesting part of it, too, so I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit and and go on to a different part of the quote. And so he said, I grew up in front of those fans in that city, and I enjoyed every minute of it but I didn't know if I fit into their plans about hundred million dollars. That contract was deferred till I was 65 years old. As we, as we well know by now, Uh, the magazine said he he stops and turns his palms to the sky in disbelief. Few people can turn down a hundred million dollar retirement fund. fund, Excuse me. Bryce is one. It's like, what does that do for me? What does that do for my family? Guys? That's just part of his interview with the magazine. I know there's a lot to unpick there and dissect, What, Chase, we'll start with you. What were your initial thoughts, especially, I know you talked about the second half of that. Because, you know, family is a big part of what he did, right? And does that show it? Do you buy into that? It still, to me, doesn't
2: explain a good reason why he wouldn't want opt-outs in his contract. Why he would commit to Philly for the next 13 years. Because I think, yes, he says this at 26 years old. But inevitably, there are going to be some very tough times throughout the course of that deal. 13 years is a long time. The Phillies, at some point, maybe very soon, are going to be good. We've seen them have some really good years in the past. But at some point, the cycle's going to go through, and he's going to be on some really bad teams in Philly. He might be on the, the highest-paid, best player on a team that is gunning for the number one pick. How's he going to like it then, if he's 30 years old and thinking, man, I could hit free agency again and go to a, a contender? So I, want, I I still don't think he's going to spend the rest of his career in Philly, even though he's got this contract until he's 39 because Bryce Harper is used to winning and at some point the Phillies aren't going to win and I think that's going to be a tough reality for him to accept so that's kind of my biggest takeaway from that quote um, when it comes to the other quote the you know what does that do for my family I think that's one of those comments that Bryce Harper's made over the years that Nationals fans have kind of understood and defended him for um, now He's in Philly. How, how are those type of comments going to play if he's hitting 240 in June? You know, he, he has a tendency to make, to make headlines with comments like this. And how do Nationals fans, how are they going to view those comments now that he's not on their team? Are they going to join the group of people that criticizes him for saying something like that, that, let's be honest, is pretty tone deaf? $100 what's that going to do for my family? Who cares if it's deferred? You can't say that. That shows that you were incredibly out of touch when it comes to money and real people and their financial situations, no matter if it is deferred. And in the context of baseball, it's ridiculous that they would defer money until he's 65 years old. You can still pull that quote, put it in a quote graphic on social media and say hundred million. What does that do for
1: my family? That's not a good look. The thing that I'm not surprised at was him saying he was tired of being asked about what's going to happen in the future. I just didn't realize how tired he was of it. Like Every spring training started when he showed up. The first group session was about his free agency. Inevitably, someone brought that up. Typically, someone from New York brought that up, and he was completely fatigued by the whole thing. um, by, By the end, in particular, the start of last spring training when he threatened to walk out of the press conference if he was asked about where he was going next. So that, to me, as like a causation for... A 13-year contract that you have no opt-outs and a no-trade clause in, like, wow, dude, you must have been really sick of being asked that question. <laughs> You're talking like 10 <laughs> minutes a year where he had to right. deal with that, right? <laughs> yeah, for the most part, and but I mean, in general, the general sense was, you know, this constant, where is he going to go? Where is he? You know, go? he's he's right about that, right? That that happened yeah. often, and that that framed him every year since he was 19 and it happened for seven years. It was all because he was going to hit free agency at such a young age. And then what was going to happen when that happened? So that part, you know, it doesn't surprise me. It bothered him to the extent it seemingly has bothered him. That kind of surprises me. Um, the part about the deferred money, I understand upfront money is always worth more than deferred money, especially that amount of money in that length of time. That's a lot of money you're leaving on the table. I, I get that. Um, these guys want to maximize their financial value and having a hundred million you know having a third of your contract when it's 300 million dollars deferred you know until what 40 years later essentially i get that that's a non-starter what i do take from that is again we go back to the nationals made a 10-year 300 million dollar offer with, according to Bryce Harper, $100 million deferred until he's 65 years old. He's never going to take that. So they knew he was never going to take that in total years, in total value, in the amount deferred. There was a 0.0% chance he was going to accept that. And there's no way the Nationals didn't know, this is what we're offering, and we know you're not going to accept it. They would have been shocked if he took it. It, it,
2: Yes, you're saying it, it... could be seen as kind of an empty gesture.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's a, it's a fine gesture. It's a huge number and whatever, but you knew specific to who you're dealing with that they were not going to accept that deal. And it makes sense for him not to accept it and go into free agency and see what happens and maybe circle back around and whatever. But there was, you know, basically no circling back around because the initial deal was so far. So to take it one step back, then you should have traded him. You should have traded if that him. that was going to be your... Your yes, offer. You, you should knew, have traded. Yeah, it. you yeah. knew that that was going to be your offer because you don't just magically decide. Well, a week before you offer someone three hundred million dollars, that you have budget for three hundred million dollars. They had over years to decade. figure this out. Right. Yes. And that exactly right. And that Bryce was asked about it the whole time. They got to the plan for it the whole time. And this is what their conclusion was. Then you should have traded him. You should have traded him for just about anything right, because you point. knew he wasn't coming back. And especially based on what we saw, what the Astros were offering at the time, those were two decent prospects, in particular, a catcher, a place where you have no prospects. So and your team wasn't going anywhere last year. And they just, the whole timing, all that stuff at the trade deadline and then again in August remains very odd. Um, and I think they missed an opportunity to trade, to trade him, knowing that that was going to be their offer. So his comments to me, um, those specific comments, don't surprise me about the being asked about this stuff all the time and his concern about the money and the upfront money doesn't surprise me either. I would agree with Chase to the extent of the phrasing of what does that do with my for my family um, is not the best phrasing, right? And especially in this climate where we create social media quote boards and they have zero context and it's just here's Bryce Harper bemoaning $100 million deferred and, you know, intimating that it's going to be hard for him and his family to eat. The so, optics are bad. Yeah, I understand why he would say that, but the optics are
2: bad. Now, one thing we have to say about Bryce Harper, because I know this has been a, a big discussion on social media among fans and the media, um, he hasn't thanked the fans in any formal <laughs> way. Uh, it's kind of become commonplace to at least put up a message on Instagram. Some people will take out the full-page ad in the newspaper now that's a lot more expensive than people think, especially if you're talking about the Washington Post. I think you're talking, you know, six six figures, hundred grand, two hundred grand, or something. You can't pay that if you have a hundred million dollars deferred. You <laughs> need that money. for That's that. true. <laughs> that's true. maybe that's what he was talking about. What, yeah. what 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 does this do for my ability to take out a full page ad? <laughs> Just say thank you. <laughs> but you can do something on Instagram. You can do something on Twitter. And I have two theories on this. One, it's either because he's not happy with ownership, and is that's part of this or secondly, it's part of embracing the role of being what is obviously going to be a massive villain in Washington DC and around baseball, but specifically in the rivalry between the Nats and Phillies. It doesn't matter how he's received. It, it doesn't matter how he's received on April 2nd. I think there'll be boos and there probably should be booze, just because you should boo, boo, the opposing player and a guy who left your team for the rival team. But there's going to be 13 years of this. There's going to be some moments. This is the Nats biggest rival. Maybe that kind of plays into it. It's something that people b- bring up. And I wonder now, is it even too late? Would would people be like, "Oh, come on. It took you a few weeks if he put a, a message up on Instagram if he saw this kind of you know, building social media backlash. Todd, do you think he he owes Nats fans a
1: thank you? I I think I agree with portions of both of your initial statements that he's irritated with ownership here and that, um, you know, being the villain is not the worst thing to Bryce Harper. No, Uh, he's perfect for it. Yeah, Eminem released a new album late last (laughs) season and he changed his walk-up song to the lead song off of that album, which was basically everybody's talking trash about me, how do you like me now kind of mentality to it, right? and then of course they couldn't use like 80% of the song um, <laughs> in a, in a baseball stadium. So I, I, so, I he, so he picked an
2: appro- he picked a song that actually uh made sense for the situation. Sure, cuz uh he has had some trouble with that recently.
1: Yeah, all <laughs> right. Um I I am surprised he hasn't done anything on on social media to say thank you um to that degree. I will say this though. This is this is my one kind of pseudo take. i'm not i'm not the take person in this equation um if you're a nationals fan and you're irritated that bryce harper left i would argue you should be more upset with the learners than you should be with bryce harper considering on everything everything we know about how this played out if you i mean the guy he's a free agent he can go wherever he wants and situationally he ended up taking you know the the longest term thing um I still don't understand why I didn't take the Dodgers offer, but he took the longest term thing. He got the max money. The team he left was ostensibly not a player in this, ultimately. And so, if you want to be upset, you know, what what was he supposed to do? Tell the Phillies, no, I'm not going to take 330 million because the Nationals offer me 300 with 100 million deferred? That doesn't make any sense. So, I think um, he
2: could have signed with 28 different teams. Maybe not the Mets, 27. Oh, and and not be irritated, and not the, yeah, not the Phillies. I think that it's just it's really tough for Nationals fans.
1: I mean, I I get that they're irritated with the location, but um, I I don't know. As a as a free market <laughs> pro laborer person, uh, you know, you go what in the what is the best situation for you, um. No one has the emotional investment of where we work, right, Chase? They don't care. They're not going to be upset that you left this place for a newspaper, you know, or this yeah. newspaper for a different place, a rival newspaper. Um, but for him, the, yes, the, the ultimate location was was the worst possible location. I agree with that. But he ended up in the worst possible location because where he came from was not active in retaining him. So, there, there's plenty of blame to go around when it comes to that topic.
0: Chase, just to dissect your initial comment for one further thing here, do, do we think that this is a calculated decision by Bryce not to have said thanks right now, or... It, I it mean, has to, to be, has I mean, to, right? he's uh,
2: he's good at social media. I mean, I would say he's good. A lot of people would say he's, he's, I think he's not good very too. good at social media. He but bought he,
0: some kid uh, ice cream in Philly uh, last night.
2: Yeah. He's, or, yeah or, he, no, that
0: would have been in... He definitely gets it, it, right? He gets the media. He's very self-aware,
2: I think, for the most part. So I think it has to have dawned on him. He's not stupid. I think if you went up to him and were like, hey, uh, you know, players usually thank fans on social media. He wouldn't be like,
1: oh, really? I've never heard of that before. (laughs) I think it's coming. I think think the strategy we're seeing is really lock myself into being pro-Philly. And then when they come rolling down here, we'll see we'll see something occur, and there will be some some kind of thank you from the team, some kind of thank you from him, um, and then whatever his initial reception is, and then everyone will kind of start moving forward, Philly loaded incrementally from there. He's already using that hashtag. I, I wonder, but. like Todd said, is this going to be a
2: thing that he tweets out or puts on Instagram right before April second? You know, maybe to uh, you know get ahead of those boos. That, that could potentially serve him a purpose there, mm. but I think generally it makes sense to just put it out there as soon as the signing happens and move
1: on. Yeah, and I would also say that if, if you had a slip-up where you said you wanted to bring a title back to where you just came from. <laughs> yeah, did that count? That, that's probably not the best time to also go around thanking that organization.
0: <laughs> we want to bring a title back to D.C. I want to be on Broad Street.
1: Did that count as let the that, ode let, to Washington? Let that lay a little bit and then uh, <laughs> circle back.
2: One other note, real quick, on this article, or two two other thoughts. One is uh, they never met with Magic Johnson. I, did you see those comments? I thought I thought I his did, wife yeah. had a pretty funny line. She was like, "Yeah, apparently we met with Magic Johnson. I would love to meet Magic Johnson. If you're the Dodgers, man, you should have brought in Magic. Maybe he could have sealed the deal." And secondly, um, just from like a media perspective, I found this interesting. I don't read ESPN magazine, so I've I had never heard of Tim Keown Keon before, but I've heard of him twice. And both occasions were in spring training, and both times he got like sensational quotes from Bryce Harper. So I just find that interesting as like a, a fellow media member that this guy like swoops in every few years and like drops a bomb on the Nationals. That is pretty interesting. Uh, it's,
0: you know, bravo to him. No rhyme or reason to
1: that one yeah. too, probably. Right? Like what? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what he does. He's a really good writer, and um, that that magazine we don't have to go over this but that magazine basically started as as a 100 page pr pamphlet for espn right and then and then (laughs) and then it grew into they they changed who was running it and they changed who was writing in it and it it really grew into kind of a writer's magazine um which it's kind of a little bit in between now but uh made a lot of progress and tim is obviously an excellent writer as anyone who read that story knows and you see him you see him come floating in and Floating out, and he's one of those guys that when you when you see him drop in on your beat, you go, "Oh, oh boy, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> Two I, weeks I from now, something's going to happen. Yes, you you better keep your eyes and ears open and and watch what he's doing as he goes around because you know that something's going to be emerging shortly. Interesting.
0: All right, one of our final topics here before we wrap things up is obviously the 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 ace, Max Scherzer, officially what you already know and expected name starter for opening day what? he'll go up against Jacob DeGrom. I had my money on
2: Jeremy Hellickson. <laughs> Did man. you now? Yeah.
0: <laughs> opening day starters, Max Scherzer. Sorry, Chase. He'll go up against Jacob DeGrom for the Mets. Todd, do we see any signs of the workhorse slowing down? No, <laughs> there's, <laughs> no. Just, there's
1: no sign. It's, 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 um it's super interesting. Um, But, but no, we don't see that. Instead, we see him, <laughs> actually working on a new pitch which he won't talk about um, but he's doing that this spring training. Uh, we see him doing all his regular stuff. if you ask the team, they talk about the arm extension on his pitches the same. so if you're if you're looking at a guy aging right you you see you look at things like extension and just it's their landing point the same and and all these things can you max out what your body has right and they're still seeing all the same things. From Max Scherzer, um, he's still as competitive as can be. Perhaps even more so if there is such a level for him after last year's failings for the team, um, and now Bryce Harper gone and the division all ramped up and all that sort of thing. So, no, I don't see any signs of him slowing down. It's going to happen at some point. Um, it happened to Verlander, and then he came back out of it, which was amazing in itself. So, We don't see him slowing down. I will say this about him being named uh, the opening day starter. And and Chase will be able to relate to this because of his previous time at Nationalist Park. At the start of spring training, we would ask Davey Martinez in the first few formal press conferences, (laughs) can you tell us who the opening day starter is going to be? And the reason we asked him that is because one of our former colleagues on the beat, Bill Ladson. Yes. Would. Billy (laughs) Goat. In all seriousness, ask the manager, like, the first week of spring training, who the opening day starter <laughs> is. <laughs> nice. And it was, like, a thing for him. Um, and, and Davey doesn't really know Bill. Um, but, you know, it was kind of an, an inside joke for us reporters to be asking Davey about, especially in this situation, knowing full well um, there was never a doubt of who it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, Max Scherzer
2: obviously no surprise there. I was just joking. I got some notes on uh, opening day starters and Nats history is now tied with Strasburg for the most opening day starts for the Nats with four. The franchise record is eight, eight straight were started by Steve Rogers of the Montreal Expos and the DC baseball record is 14 held by Walter Johnson, spread out from 1910 to 1926. He had 10 in a row from 1912
1: to 1921. And he probably pitched
0: all
2: nine innings in all 10. Yes. Amazing. And, uh, only twice in MLB history have pitchers who finished one, two in Cy Young votes the previous year, then faced off on opening day, the next season. And we'll see that with Max Scherzer and Jacob de And it's not the only time that will happen this year because Blake Snell and Justin Verlander right. are going up against each other. So some pretty interesting stuff there.
1: Yeah. That, that, I mean, that's a, that's a killer opener, especially with who the Mets brought in and Bryce Harper, not here. And then those two guys starting the game. That's, um, that's gonna be a good day. No Max doubt. Scherzer will be fired up. Oh man. I That'll can promise be... you that. Those
0: those fist bumps are coming back. Oh. He'll be stomping off the mound. Stomping. It's exactly <laughs> he runs. He runs too, right? Does he run? Uh he's is he a runner? He he will tell you he's probably the fastest guy on the team, right? Tom? <laughs> no, I mean, is he a runner off the ma- after the after the one two three? Like let's say he goes one, two, three. Is he a runner? Or no, is it, is it no. a brisk? He's a no. stomper. A, what? He's
2: a yeah. stomp, He's a stomper and snarler. <laughs> stomper. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, and there might be some spit that the HD cameras catch just <laughs> flying out of his mouth.
0: Well, well, well. 15 days until we get to see that. DeGrom versus Scherzer as we get things started in 2019. March 28th, 105. First pitch. couple notes here before we sign off. Redskins Talk continues its free agency specials here on Thursday and Friday from 12 to 1 o'clock Eastern on NBC Sports Washington. And then, of course, tomorrow night, Thursday, Caps and Flyers, 7 o'clock on NBC Sports Washington. Be sure to keep it locked. And, of course, another one down, fellas. Always good to be with you. We're going to be back on Friday, and we'll have that episode out for you in the afternoon as we creep on closer here we go for Chase Hughes. Todd Dibas, I'm Bob Trossett, signing off. From our NBC Sports Washington podcast studios, thanks for listening to the Racing Presidents podcast. Laura Shahadi, it's a pleasure to finally have you here in West Palm oh, Beach. Oh, my goodness, sir. Nice to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you. Please have a seat. I, I want to... Uh... I'll discuss a few things with you and, uh, and see. Uh, uh, it's, just so, it's just so nice to have somebody from the area that, uh, you know, on the, on the major networks that, uh, that seems to care so much about the area and so baseball. Yes, being a, a D.C. native for all these years, we think it's very, very important for you to uh, be a Washington National for life. There's only one thing left, Lauren. What, what, what number are you going to wear?
1: 34 available?
0: It happens to be available.